0: The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Did you know that relaxation is all in your mind? That's right. By applying various techniques of mindfulness, you can practice relaxation anywhere and anytime, whether it's at home, work, or at play. Welcome to Come Back to Your Senses Radio with host Leah Brenda Smith. Our program is all about recovering your common sense. Now, here's health and wellness specialist, Leah Brenda Smith.
1: Welcome to Come Back to Your Senses Radio. I am your host, Leah Brenda Smith. And I welcome back all the listeners from Voice America Variety, and also our listeners that are receiving this live stream from Project Freedom. Thanks, Bobby Kay, for getting us on the air. Today we're going to talk about Jalad Rumi. And I'm going to start off with something that Rumi says about the ecstatic. An ecstatic human being is like a polished mirror that cannot help reflecting. What we love, we are. As the heart center comes cleaner, we see the kingdom as it is. We become reflected light. This polishing may occur little by little each and every day as we do our practices of meditation, of mindfulness. We are emptying ourselves of the false things of this life. When we live in the soul, then everything can be seen, everything can be used for clarity. It seems that this polishing of the mirror, of the heart, is a reference to the discipline of tending to our inner practices. It's important to find practices that you resonate with, practices that can become your own. And at the end of this polishing comes a creativeness that Rumi calls looking into the creek, as if seeing becomes like lucid dreaming. We watch the souls dance, the gates of life swing open and we look in. And here's one of his little poems pertaining to that. Clear being, I honor those who try to rid themselves of lying who empty the self and have only clear being there. So, welcome to Rumi. Jalad Rumi was born in 1207 into a family of religious scholars and seekers in an area that is now Afghanistan. The family was forced to leave his homestead at an early age to escape the Mongol battalions of Genghis Khan. And his family finally settled into the town of Konya in present-day Turkey. This area in which they settled was known in those days as the land of Rum, which is where he acquired the name that he is known by in the West. But Rumi immediately entered into a 10 year study of special experiences that are designed to purify, purify his mind and prepare his body for the demands of being a spiritual guide and a guardian to the townspeople of Konya. Here's another one of his little gems. The minute I heard my first love story, I started looking for you not knowing how blind that was. I was first introduced to Rumi's poetry about 30 years ago and was fascinated with the depth and the poignant simplicity that was articulated in his poetry. He has an eloquence about him that is unparalleled in any other works that I've read. His exquisite presence shines through his unending articulation of love in all of its splendor, both physical and divine. A thousand half-loves must be forsaken to take one whole heart home. Let's explore together some of Rumi's poems and commentary that have been translated and presented by Coleman Barks in a book called Rumi, The Book of Love. If the Beloved is everywhere, the Lover is a Veil. Ruby we had an insight into the movement of love as an explicit expression of the Divine with no boundaries, unfettered and unencumbered by seeming shallowness, neediness, control, entrapment, and jealousy that we sometimes act out in the name of love, Rumi was clearly a master of the art of love, possessing a clear capacity to allow the movement of this divine energy through him in ways that still, many centuries later, are relatively uncommon. Rumi encouraged us to surrender at all cost, to surrender at every turn, and to surrender without measure to the flow of divine love through us. If you want what visible reality can give, you're an employee. If you want the unseen world, you're not living your truth. Both wishes are foolish, but you'll be forgiven for forgetting that what you really want is love's confusing joy. There on the written pages were words conveying things that i had been feeling and thinking inside of myself. There, in the presence of Rumi's brilliant words, were the transcendent experiences that I was having during moments in meditation, while connecting with the elements, during lucid dreaming, and in nature, and in my deep intimate friendships. In Rumi's writings, he's sharing his own deep experience, yet there's an expressed universality on the page. Rumi is a pioneer, opening a passageway to the divine that we can all enter. He welcomes us into the fold, welcomes us to know the truth that is hidden within the stillness, hidden within the heart, a love that awaits all lovers a love that awaits all seekers, a love that awaits all. This is not a collection of verses that encourages cheerfulness, nor is it new age energy exchange. Rumi's very essence and focus is about giving your life to the one you know as the divine within yourself which is a totally private, personal experience. No one but you can really comment on how you are doing with this relationship that lives within you. They try to say, what are you? Spiritual or sexual? They wonder about Solomon and all of his wives in the body of the world, they say there is a soul, they say you are that, but we have ways within each other that will never be said by anyone. Rumi was emphatic about his quest for the divine and simply felt that if you didn't share that same sense of search that you were wasting your time delving into such matters as there's nothing to accomplish if not the combining and communing with the divine perhaps now in 2012 we're ready for rumi's knowing of love there are certainly those amongst younger generations that instinctively know that the way that love's portrayed in the media is a false love, that it's a falsified reality, and they too become seekers of the divine. They hear in Rumi's words that he's trying to direct us towards the true nature of love. And they're drawn to his work because of it, just as I was drawn to Rumi in my youth. It's time to hear about the journey inward, the bliss of being a witness, to love in meditation, in our dreams. It's time now for us to look deep into our own reflection and see the divine there looking back at us. Reason has no way to say it's love. Only love opens that secret. If you want to be more alive, Love is the truest health. We long for the inner peace and silence that Rumi's poems sing praises to, even though few have really explored the innermost depth of the divine with such devotion and passion as Rumi. And even though perhaps many of us understand only the tip of the iceberg of Rumi's declarations of love. Still, his life, his work and his poems are immensely popular in the modern world. We see Rumi's works popularized in some of the most unusual places. As an example, in Marina del Rey, a sophisticated Southern California beach community, on one side of one of the buildings, There's painted a mural in different shades of blue, and up in the right-hand corner is a Rumi quote. In the once popular TV show Judging Amy, a creative writing teacher holds up two books. One is The Great Gatsby, the other is Essential Rumi. The teacher holds up the books and says something like, read these books and you'll learn how to write. And in one of Alex Baldwin's movies, he has the book briefly in his hand, Essential Rumi. Essential Rumi has been recommended as summer reading in a newsletter sent out by Kathleen Summers, who's the owner of San Antonio women's clothing store. And musician Philip Glass goes on musical tour performing a chakra piece called Monsters of Grace using Rumi's words. Rumi's work is read on the fashion runway to introduce Donna Karan's new clothing line and Debbie Moore and Madonna, excuse me, Demi Moore and Madonna read Rumi poetry on one of Deepak Chopra's CDs. So what can we make of all this Rumi mania? Well, to quote a famous phrase, this too shall pass, and of course it will. It wasn't that long ago we were hearing uh, in the modern world all these things with Madonna and other people talking about Kabbalah. And now we have Rumi, Rumi mania. So Rumi's work certainly does not belong on the shelf with popular fad love books. He belongs on the shelf with the true mystics. Luddin Rumi and Shams-i Tabriz are real people. They gave us one of the best opportunities ever to reach into ourselves and reveal the divine. Rumi's poetry is an accurate description of the friendship between the two men, which perhaps can account for the wide appeal of the work. Rumi liked to watch the changing moods the dance of lovers falling in and out of love. He is not a mystic purist, but really can be seen, he can see into the importance and the beauty of the full spectrum of human emotions, of human behavior and experience. He always uses human experience as a portal to look at soul growth. Modern day challenges with commitment, fear of intimacy, and control issues are not part of Rumi's consciousness. He says, It doesn't matter that you have broken your vow a thousand times. Still come, yet again come. Rumi truly was a consciousness lover, a real congruent, authentic human being, a realized human being, with words that are used to describe someone who has traveled the path and has become the deepest version of themselves. That is Rumi. Try to listen for the presence inside the poems. Try to listen to the echoes of the divine through the words, through the feelings. The poems themselves emit the energy of divine presence. Connect there with your open heart into the presence of the poems. Love is not love that doesn't love the details of the beloved, the minute particles. Love is the connection with spirit, and one way it flows is through form. That's the state of rapture. Rumi praises the joy of being inside an intersection with the divine which is what the world is, an intersection with the divine. Yet there are as many ways of love as there are people, and what love means to one does not necessarily mean the same to another. One person's experience of deep intimacy may not even be on the scale of deep intimacy for another. In ways, this variety of depth, perception, and expression is part of the vast beauty of the human level of existence. Fear. Everyone can see how they have polished the mirror Of the self, which is done with the longings we are given. Not everyone wants to be king. There are different roles and many choices within each. Troubles come, one person packs up and leaves, another stays and deepens in a love for human being. In battle, One runs, fearing for his life. Another, just as scared, turns and fights more fiercely. The heart with its many regions and experiences is more of a spherical journey than a linear path. Areas of energy in the poetry merge with one another layer upon layer. Rumi's impulse is one of reaching to the divine yet bringing that feeling to the earth rather than spiraling towards the angelic realms. Rumi was always more jamal or feminine or receptive than jala masculine or commanding. Rumi would repeatedly say things like, there is little one can say about love. It has to be lived, and it is always in motion. All of Rumi's poems can be heard as love poems. They attend to the soul's flowering from grief and every other emotion that stream through our experiences of human consciousness. The deeper the grief, the more radiant the love. We miss our friend. Lovers' tears are the true wealth. There is the hope that through these inspired words, we will ourselves seek to work with higher emotional levels and free ourselves from the confines and constructs that are often placed on the experience of loving another human being. That is the journey that is being offered in Rumi's poetry and in his practice of gazing at the beloved. In the early 70s, I spontaneously fell into the practice of gazing with a beloved friend who I met during my early years in metaphysics. When we first met, it was clear that our connection at that time transcended time, it transcended space and certainly transcended our personalities. We naturally gravitated to the practice and would spend hours transfixed on each other's gaze, in deep stillness, drinking the divine. It's not easy to describe the feelings, the visions, or the wisdom that poured into us and subsequently poured out of us during those early years of gazing. Gazing became one of my preferred activities. and over the years, I met others that were mildly interested or curious in the practice, yet not to the degree that I was willing to surrender to gazing, to surrender to the divine. Occasionally, during various workshops I attended on a variety of subjects, the teacher would carve out some time at the end of the class and have us pick a partner and gaze for a while into each other's eyes. Then in the early 90s, I was again blessed to find myself spontaneously falling into the practice of gazing with a new beloved friend. We surrendered to the flow of the divine through us. And these experiences energized my body, my soul, and my life. I fondly and often think of those years as a flowy-glowy time in my life. I was clearly overflowing with the energy of divine love and poured that energy into the people that were coming to me for teaching and for treatments and into my family and into my friends. Similarly, the experience is in the 70s. During that time, there was so much energy and light that poured into me and which flowed into experiences of deep personal healing and development and growth. Spiritual paths teach that if you want to find God, you must turn and face the energies of the divine directly and then surrender to the process and accept whatever may stir in your life as a result of this surrender. It is not always clear where to turn or which direction to look for the presence of the divine. It is Is it in a particular place or is it everywhere? And can a particular place or face serve as a doorway into the divine? People from various faiths create images of God and use these images as focal focal points for prayer and meditation, sometimes for hours on end. Some individuals report that through this type of practice, they feel that they're opening up a dialogue with the divine Often it is said that the eyes of the images are the most important focal point. And it's said that by making eye contact with an image of God, a devotee can achieve darshan, which means seeing and being. Seeing and being seen by God. We have heard by many spiritual traditions that we are made in the image of God. And given that that is so, it seems that we would be able to look upon the face of God by sitting and gazing at an actual person, living, breathing flesh and blood. If you can find someone that's willing to hold your gaze in return, something begins to transpire between the two of you. If you can truly see another and be seen by another, you will soon discover that he He or she is an embodiment of the divine and so are you. In India, darshan occurs in formal gatherings where the teacher sits and pours their gaze out to the devotees that are gathered, welcoming them to enter and make contact with their gaze. Then when the eyes of the student meet the gaze of the teacher, no further words of instruction are necessary. Darshan, which means seeing and being seen by God. In 1244, a most extraordinary event occurred in the history of Sufism when Rumi met a wanderer and fellow seeker, Shams-e-Tabriz. After meeting, Rumi and Shams entered into a private retreat and emerged 90 days later in a transformed state. The two men sat and simply gazed into each other's eyes, the portholes of the soul. Imagine having that opportunity to sit for 90 days, just have people bring you meals, and your whole focus was just to sit and gaze at the eyes of your friend, and make a communing with the Divine through the practice of gazing. The two men sat and simply gazed into each other's eyes, the portals of the soul. I'm fascinated at recalling that 30 years after my first experiences of spontaneously falling into the practice of gazing, I received Will Johnson's book from my beloved gazing partner of the 90s. I was so pleased to turn the pages while reading out loud together about the experiences of gazing that Rumi and Shams had spontaneously entered into after their chance meeting in 1244. Let's explore together Rumi's radical practice of beholding the divine as it's presented and translated by Will Johnson. Some spiritual teachers call out the glories and beauty that they've been privileged to behold, leaving us wondering how we could attain such heights of experience. And other teachers share a little bit about their own experience, yet they give us a map so that we can attain these experiences ourselves. Rumi does both. He writes eloquent passages that paint pictures for us of what he had witnessed. And he also repeatedly mentions the practice of gazing at the beloved. In three simple lines, Rumi manages to give us explicit insight into this practice of gazing. Friend sits by friend and the tablets appear. They read the mysteries off each other's forehead. This is a simple practice with unending opportunities and possibilities of encountering the divine. A simple practice that for some may not be so simple to practice, nonetheless, it is a simple practice. To begin, all you need to do is sit with your friend. There's no exact posture, standing, sitting, dancing, lying down, yet in the beginning it's good to sit across from your friend so that you can look directly at each other. It's not necessary to sit in a formal meditation posture. The most important thing is that you sit in a way that's comfortable so that you can totally relax into each other's presence. Opposite ends of a couch, are it's a great way to do your gazing, but certainly not the only way. Simply sit down with your friend, face each other, limit the distractions in the environment, friend sits by friend. Once you are seated comfortably directly across from each other, the stage is set for the practice to unfold. Rumi gives us the most important instruction in the simple phrase, look as long as you can at the friend you love. look at each other. Truly look at each other. Focus your gaze on the eyes of your friend while your friend focuses his or her gaze on you. Hold this gaze. Hold it as long as you can without looking away. His practice of gazing is like the salve for the soul. It is the remedy for the brief darting connections that we experience in our socialized world. Let yourself look directly into the eyes of your friend. Rumi encourages us by saying, Come to the sea of charm and beauty. Arrive at the mine of union Gaze into the drunken eyes of that real beauty. You can look at both eyes together or choose a single eye to rest your gaze. There are no rules here for the practice, other than you should look at your friend, relax completely, and see where your gaze naturally falls. You may find yourself looking in the left eye, another time in the right eye, and sometimes at both eyes simultaneously. Come to the practice newly each time and follow your own flow with where you're drawn in the moment. Dive into that sea which is full of glory. Look into those languid eyes. As soon as your eyes lock onto the eyes of your friend, you will feel a subtle yet unmistakable shift in your head just behind your eyes. This is the sign that the energies of one soul are beginning to commingle with the energies of the other soul, joining forces to create a passageway to the land of union. Even though there is a physical distance between you and your friend, your gaze creates a pathway until it meets up and touches the soul of your friend. Both of you can feel this connection being established. Look at your friend while he or she looks at you. Touch him or touch her through your gaze, and let yourself be touched through them. Look at your friend from that place in the middle of your head, just behind your eyes, and focus your gaze so that it comes to rest at the same place on your friend's head. Sufis have spoken about this place as the clear bead in the center. Feel your gaze as an arrow that is loosening from the bow of your soul until it passes through the layers of your friend's persona, until it hits the mark. Then feel your friend's gaze piercing through the veils of your personality until it hits the mark and comes to rest in the center of your being. If there are hundreds of curtains in one eye, his arrow-shaped eyebrow pierces them all at once. Once your mutual gaze has penetrated one another, the door to the land of union begins to open. The sensation that you are feeling in your head starts to spread until you start feeling sensations in other areas of your body. Places in your body may suddenly begin to tingle or to buzz, or your body may begin to shimmer. You and your friend begin entering into a new world together. For Rumi, Shams became the sun the warming source that drew his soul out of its cold hiding place. Every particle of my body is in love with your sun. Look carefully. The merchants of particles have endless business to transact with the sun. As you continue to hold the gaze of your great friend, even more sensations will rise to your awareness. And over time, your entire body may transform itself into a free-flowing river of sensations passing right through you. The flow of sensations may feel deeply nourishing or deeply challenging. It doesn't matter. Your task is to simply relax as fully as possible into the unusual and magnificent sensations that the practice inspires. Accept whatever happens exactly the way that it is and surrender to the current. Now that we've had an overview of the practice, let's look at aspects of the practice individually, the first being the relaxation. Because tension can block our clear perception of what's behind the tension, and because of uncomfortable sensations, at times we don't want to look behind the uncomfortable feelings. To bring the practice of feeling God in every cell of your body, you need to lift the veil so that the great play of the bodily sensations can reveal itself. It is the relaxation that allows the sensations to come to the surface, and it is the relaxation that allows you to continue to remain focused on the gaze of your friend. As over time, even more intensified sensations come rushing to the surface, flooding your awareness and testing your ability to continue to free-fall into the gaze. If the sensations become too intense and you're finding it difficult for you to continue to relax, then simply look away for a moment and then return your gaze back to your friend. Your friend that will be there waiting for you to return. Just as you will be there waiting for your friend to return if they happen to look away. Thousands of times I run away from you like an arrow is thrown from the bow and thousands of times i was caught again as a prey by your hunting eyes so relax as much as you can relax into the pleasurable the pleasurable sensations that the practice generates and relax into the unpleasant ones as well. Be sure that the positioning of your body is as comfortable as it can be. Breathe into the areas of unpleasant sensations as soon as they arise. And this will help to release the tension from your body. Remembering about all six directions, not just in your body. The left, And the right of your body, the front and the back of your body, and the top and the bottom of your body. Here in the gazing you finally found someone in front of you with whom you can relax your defenses and just be yourself. So the first focal point really is on the relaxation and then we move into the acceptance. Your ability to prolong the gaze depends on your ability to accept your experiences exactly the way that they appear to you, without altering them in any way. If you reject your experience or try to manipulate it in any way, then your body will tighten, your mind will close down, and your eyes will want to look away. Relaxation and acceptance are like two sides of the coin. They can't really separate, they can't really be separate. They're two sides of the same coin. So to have one, you have the other. And they create a powerful effect that supports you in going even deeper into the practice. As you continue with the practice, you want to expand your awareness to include not only the sensations within the body, but the sights in front of your eyes and the sounds that surround you as well. Pay as much attention to your peripheral vision as you do to your friend sitting right there in front of you. And notice how this expanded visual field increases the relaxation in your body. Then bring your awareness to the sounds, including all the sounds, no matter how loud or how subtle, Include them as an intrinsic part of the experience. At those moments when you are able to hold your awareness of all of your primary sensory fields at one time, holding them in balance, accepting their content exactly as they are, the internal monologue of the mind will automatically shut off. Then if you lose your focus on your physical sensations, your vision and your sounds, your mind will again pick up its chatter. And you'll then need to include the mental plane until once again you settle back into experiencing the sensations and the visual and auditory fields. All you need to do is keep relaxing into yourself and keep accepting whatever you experience as you continue to hold your gaze on your friend. You're not trying to change anything about yourself or get anywhere, other than where you are in any given moment. The doors to the divine do not open through prying them open. They open through relaxation and the acceptance of the truth that arises. If you have pain in your body, accept that. If you feel waves of tingling pleasure, accept that. Accept what you see exactly, exactly, without deciding something about it. Accept all of the sounds as well, without pushing some away or trying to grab on to any of them. Rumi says that acceptance is the key to happiness. Accept yourself. Exactly the way you are. Feel what is happening in you in this moment of communing with your friend exactly how it is. Never succumb to those thoughts, to all that thinking that you're inadequate or that something at the core of your being needs fixing, but the repair shop's always closed. Rumi addresses this with compassion. You suppose that you're the trouble, but you're really the cure. You suppose that you are the lock on the door, but you're really the key that opens it. It's too bad that you want to be someone else. You don't see your own face, your own beauty. Yet no one's face is more beautiful than yours. We talked about relaxation, and now we just talked about acceptance. And if there are some of you that feel like you need more support in the area of acceptance, we did a show earlier called um, "The Natural: Accepting the Natural Cycles of Ebb and Flow. So the Voice America Variety listeners, you can get that right there on the host page. And the Product Freedom listeners, you could get a link from my website at come back to your senses.com. There's a perfect show to give more support on the natural cycles of ebb and flow and acceptance. And then we move into surrender. So if you're able to relax in the presence of your great friend, then accepting whatever occurs as a result of the practice, you begin to realize one of the most important truths about the world of union. Everything within its domain is constantly changing, in an unending parade of appearances. Nothing stands still for a single moment, and nothing lasts longer than a heartbeat. Sounds come and go, the visual field is constantly changing, and sensations in the body rise and fall. At the core of your being, you are in a process of constant motion. If you try to resist the current of change, or if you try to freeze a moment in time, the world of union will slip through your fingers. If you can flex with the changes, making peace with the fluctuations, then the world of union takes you in hand. Don't fight the currents, just surrender to the ebb and the flow of the experience. Once you get familiar with the practice, You'll come to appreciate that the currents and the changes, the sensations in the body are all moving in accordance with an organic process that's very natural and smooth, having its own special pulse and rhythm. Just allow it to move at its own pace and just relax. Relax and go along with the ride. Your job is to simply surrender to the current as completely as possible. Become like a leaf in a stream. You need to stir and direct the practice only to get yourself to the place of feeling the current. And then, relax, let go, and trust the wisdom of the current to take you exactly where you need to go. We are like bowls floating on the surface of the water. How the bowls go is not determined by the bowls, but by the water. Surrender to the painful sensations. Resisting them only makes them persist and creates a wedge between you and the experience of union with the divine. Surrender to the breath that wants to breathe you Resistance in the body and mind occurs only when the current of the breath is resisted. Surrender to your partner. Don't hold anything back or keep anything hidden. And don't try to manufacture anything either. Just surrender to who you are in the moment of communing. And surrender to all the ways that this reality in the moment is changing. In our core, We are the ocean itself. We often forget this and commit to a dry life in a world of separation. Relaxation, acceptance, and surrender are the keys that open the doorway to the divine union. Like a skilled surgeon of the soul, Rumi offers us an antidote. Why have you turned into a dry branch? Look at the face of the beloved. So much spontaneous healing can occur as you continue to gaze into each other's eyes. Pain that you have suppressed or didn't even know existed suddenly rises to the surface in a wave of energy. And then through the magical mixture of relaxation, acceptance and surrender. The wave passes through you and the pains begin to resolve themselves. The practice of gazing at the beloved is a healing practice, healing the mind of misconceptions and healing the body of discomforts and pain. The medicine that we need most can be found in the eyes of our friend. The glowing eyes of the doctor dispense remedies. Whoever is ill should come to this pharmacy. Doesn't our placement in the world of separation cause us all to weep, often silently but sometimes openly? Rumi wrote, He said to me, Why are your eyes so fixed on me face? Because my eyes so wet with tears search for the heat of the sun. While gazing at your beloved friend, we dry our inner tears and enter into the healing chamber. We enable our friend to see fully and we feel that also. Finally, we're being seen for who we are. We are seen for the truth of the the divine being that is the core of ourselves. And when we accept another and are accepted by another at this depth, there's an ease with allowing everything to come to the surface. Friend sits by friend and the tablets appear. On these tablets is written the truth of our lives, the joys and the happiness, as well as the pains and the fear. It is a thrill to finally release all of this. The way we heal everything within us is by realizing and accepting that we are perfectly okay with all of our joys and with all of our sorrow. And then we really truly begin to transform At times it's clear that the person sitting in front of you is a hidden aspect of your friend that he or she rarely shows to anyone, and at other times it may seem as if you are looking at someone completely different from who you know your friend to be, perhaps a person from a different place or a different time. At other times you're not seeing your friend at all, but meeting an aspect of yourself that you do not know. Your friend's face becomes like an ink blot onto which you project your own deepest mysteries. Face after face appears before you. Don't try to hold your friend to any one appearance. You couldn't even if you wanted to. Just relax into the passing, show in front of you. What disguises he wears, what tricks he invents, If he appears in one shape as spirit, he slips the snare. When you seek him above, he shines like the moon in the water. When you enter the water, he flees skyward. In the beginning, it may seem as if you've both entered into an altered state of consciousness. However, if you can surrender into the visual shifts and distortions that are a natural byproduct of the practice, the current of the ocean will sweep you along, revealing even deeper mysteries as you go. We come to realize that our so-called normal waking state is an altered state because we alter the truth of who we are in order to fit into the socialized world that we've all created with all of its personas and held back emotions, and tension in the body, and distorted thoughts in the mind. The practice of gazing takes us from this limited altered state of created identities back to our birthright, back to our natural condition. The natural condition of divine beings. Sometimes in a condition of union and merging, the whole of your friend's face may dissolve and all you may see in front of you is a single eye. When his bright face becomes an eye, to humans' eyes, humans are able to see God. Or the eyes may dissolve in a kind of blank but brilliant light, the cornerstone of what you believe reality to be and look like may suddenly disappear. And another world beyond the world of form reveals itself. You turned into eyes, and then we both became invisible. The longer you and your friends sit together holding each other's gaze and letting the current of your life force move through you, the deeper you will go into the place of union. If this is what you want for yourself, then stay looking at your friend for as long as you can. Minutes flow into hours. And as it was with Rumi and Shams, hours flowed into days and days flowed into weeks. The practice is definitely addictive. Just as it was awkward for you to enter the practice, it may feel a little awkward as you leave and walk away from your friend and go back to the flow of your regular life. Our being is always looking for opportunities to connect and merge in deep intimacy with another. Always looking for, always looking for opportunities to connect and merge in deep intimacy with another. I used to tease about myself, saying that I'm a merger from way back when it was popular. Having immersed myself into the experience of gauging at such a young age, it took some time for me to realize that not everyone was dedicated to the search of this level of union and deep merging. And as I mentioned earlier, I've had two deep gazing partners, and in both experiences, we engaged in the practice of gazing on many occasions and over several years. I've also encountered quite a few other seekers on the path, However, in these situations, we weren't able to engage in the practice of gazing for any length of time, just brief interludes together of communing with the divine brief interludes. Ruby says that it's difficult to experience the kind of merging that you experience with a great friend while you're alone. And sadly, I agree with him and have missed the experience of gazing. From time to time, I've tried the practice by gazing at myself in a mirror which is certainly a wonderful adventure with some similar experiences as gazing with a partner. And for some of us, gazing in a mirror with yourself might be a great way to acclimatize yourself to the practice. However, clearly, nothing can replace the experience of sitting across from your great friend and gazing one unto the other. I'm always on the lookout for a beloved friend that will join me in the practice of gazing at the beloved. This radical practice of beholding the divine continues to be my all time favorite practice. Well, I hope you enjoyed our little chat today about Rumi, the gazing at the beloved master. And I welcome you to Try these practices, think about these practices, listen to the playback, and see if there's something there that resonates with you that you can adapt and adopt for yourself. Remember, there's no hard, fast rules about any of this. If you're looking for the full book, it's Rumi, Gazing at the Beloved, The Radical Practice of Beholding the Divine with Will Johnson. And the other book that we quoted from in the beginning, some of Rumi's poetry is Rumi, The Book of Love. Poems of Ecstasy and Longing, and that is by Coleman Barks. So I thank you for tuning in today. This is Come Back to Your Senses Radio, and I am your ever-grateful host, Leah Brenda Smith. And until next week, let's relax and enjoy life.
0: We hope you've enjoyed our program today and perhaps have found some new techniques that you can apply to your daily life. Thank you for tuning in to Come Back to Your Senses Radio. Please join Leah Brenda Smith again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you next week.